Well, I'm Pastor Jamie Kendrew, and we're glad that you're here with us today. And we are currently in the middle of a sermon series called Face to Face with Jesus. We're talking about how people have had encounters with Christ that have changed them. And so this morning, we're talking about a very specific encounter that um, is kind of like the super encounter with Jesus. Uh, Because we're talking about Saul, who we also know as Paul. Now, I want you to remember that other than Jesus Christ himself, there's no single person of the Bible who's as influential as Paul. But the story doesn't start there. The story... Oh, am I getting thunder? I love sound effects when I preach. This is good. Yeah. It was a late... It was a dark and scary evening. No, that's an airplane. But anyway, so we're talking about a person in Scripture who who really has a sinister past. And I think a lot of times we read the life of Paul and we think, oh, this guy really got it. This guy loved the Lord. This guy was good. But no, he didn't. In fact, I want to take us to our current media and our our current news because we see this all around us right now. We see the fact that ISIS is alive and well. And if you don't know who ISIS is, you need to turn on a radio or a television for 10 minutes. Because there's this group of people going around martyring and killing Christians. If you've paid attention at all of what's happened in Kenya, over 147 people were killed by a radical group called Al-Shabaab. We live in a, a time and an era of the world where there is more martyrdom taking place than in the history of the church. When I say that, people balk and they go, there's no way that's true. Listen, it's true. I'm studying church history right now and studying the history of Rome and the martyrdom that took place. We're seeing more Christians today martyred than we ever have been. And the church is almost not even paying attention to it. We're in a time of great crisis. And we need to be lifting up our brothers and sisters, and the children that are being killed. Doesn't that touch your soul? Think back to the the, the September 11th of 2001. Every single one of you who is of age can tell me where you were at when you heard about that plane hitting the first building. I remember I began to have an argument with a gas station attendant, whether it was terrorism or just a tragic accident. I was getting my gas filled. And we all remember that emotion and that feeling we felt when that second plane hit, and then it didn't stop there. That's pain that's real to us. And the wars that have ensued afterwards, and the fight against terrorism that is now taking place, and our sons and daughters are going off to foreign lands and they're dying. For what? Because evil roams this world. And we're, we're really turning a blind eye to it. We need to wake up because I'm going to tell you what, it is a matter of time before the enemy is at your doorstep. And I want you to hear how I'm saying that. Because we need to be praying for those who are being martyred. But we also need to be praying, and this is going to be hard for me to preach, this is hard for me to say, we need to be praying for them. ISIS. When you think of the name Osama bin Laden, shivers go down your spine. When I say the word Vietnam for some of you, 
It takes you to a place you don't want to go. When we say the words, Adolf Hitler, we think of evil in its purest. But do you know what God thinks of? He sees a broken and lost infant. And when Osama bin Laden was killed, America leapt for joy, but the heart of God was broken. Because God saw one of His creation sent into oblivion, rejecting Him to an eternity of hell. It's hard for us to even think of that, isn't it? That when Adolf Hitler took his own life, God wept. It's just gross talking about it for me. Because in my human nature, I say they got what they had coming to them. And praise God, Bin Laden's dead. But as a messenger of Jesus Christ, I am called to pray for my enemy. I'm called to look out for my enemy. This is messed up stuff, right? Someone else want to get up here and preach? This isn't fun. But you see, when we have that attitude, we're counter to what the Bible's telling us. Because you see, in the Word of God, there's this person by the name of Saul. He comes from a place called Tarsus. Growing up, he was a little kid, and he had parents who were both Pharisees. And if you don't know what a Pharisee is... I'm just going to say it like this. They're super Jews. All right? They really look to the law. They're these middle class people that really wanted to adhere to the word of God. And Saul of Tarsus was, was this little kid being raised by two Pharisees that, that really loved the Jewish way. In fact, Paul's family was so into this that he would not even have been allowed to have friends who weren't Jewish. What was unique about this family was, is being where they were from, they were the people of God being Jews, but they were also Roman citizens, which gave them absolute freedom. So Saul's family was able to relish in the fact that they had those two uh, identities. Saul's family began to raise him in the way of the Torah. They began to raise him... In the, in the way of the Psalms and of the prophets. And by the age of 13, Saul of Tarsus could quote entire books of the Bible, of the Torah. It's said that he was, he was far above all of his peers, that he was a young, up-and-coming superstar in that Jewish community. And at the age of 13, he had his sights on being the chief priest. He wanted to be the head of the Sanhedrin. And so being this superstar young guy, everybody in the Jewish community was recognizing this guy's got big things for him. So they sent him to a man by the name of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was a respected teacher in the Jewish community. He was brilliant. When this guy spoke stadiums became quiet to hear what he had to say. And so this young kid, Saul, really up and coming, they decide they're going to submit him to Gamaliel for five to six years. He studies under Gamaliel, becoming an incredible craftsman at the skill of debating, becoming a lawyer for crying out loud. He becomes so focused on, on the laws of Israel that, that Saul is just this incredible specimen. Are you getting that? But to the Christians of his day, he's something very different. 
You see, because what happens, we have this account of Saul's life that we read in in Acts, but I'm going to tell you, it starts there. Because at a very young age, he's paying attention to what's happening in the world. And there's this person by the name of Jesus of Nazareth who who is claiming to be the Son of God. Saul of Tarsus would have heard Jesus' teachings. Saul of Tarsus perhaps would have seen the crucifixion. Because you remember who his teacher is. It's Gamaliel, the head of the Sanhedrin, the chief priest. Saul is there when they're saying shouts of crucify. And as a young, really just full of ambition Jew, he's caught up in the moment. Crucify this guy. He's saying that he is God. He's against everything that we believe as Jews. And so Jesus dies. He rises again. And now they stole his body. Those disciples of his, they stole his body. How dare they? Saul says to himself. And he begins to harden his heart as he struggles with the things that he heard Jesus say and the things he saw Jesus do, the disciples begin to go out in the name of Jesus, being obedient to who God created them to be. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And do you know what the disciples did? They did just that. They began to go out. They began to go into the synagogues and they began to teach, so much so that the Pharisees at this point have had it. It tells us in Acts 5 that they arrested the apostles. They threw them into prison. And that night when they threw them into prison, the angels of the Lord came and broke them out. (laughs) It tells us in Scripture that the prison cells was, was locked up. It was secure. And the very next day, in the same synagogue, there's the apostles of Jesus teaching. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to Acts 5 because this is all important when we look at the life of Saul. In Acts 5.25, we read these words. Remember, the the apostles had just broken out of prison with the help of God. And someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles They did not use force because they feared the people would stone them. The people are now supporting these apostles. They're starting to buy into this Jesus thing. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priests. We gave you strict orders not to teach in that name. Yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Speaking of Jesus. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand and as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they had heard this, they were furious. They wanted to put them to death immediately. But there was a Pharisee by the name of Gamaliel. Interesting. Who was his student? A young man by the name of Saul. 
Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men, speaking of the disciples, be put outside for a bit. Then he addressed them and he said, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do with these men. Because remember, some time ago, Thuides appeared claiming to be somebody and about 400 men rallied to him and he was killed. And all of his followers, they dispersed. And it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and all of his followers, they scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purposes or activity is of human origin, it will surely fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. And you will only find yourselves fighting against God. Do you hear who it is saying these words? This is Gamaliel, the teacher of Saul. He's a Sanhedrin. Remember, I always tell you, not all the Pharisees were on the same page when it came to Jesus. And he utters the words, you might want to be careful, because if we take a wrong step here, we may find ourselves actually fighting against God. Do you know what he's saying there? He's giving validity to Jesus. And over in the corner of the room is a student by the name of Saul of Tarsus, who's thinking, my professor is speaking out of his mind. What is he talking about? Let these men go. Through the tradition, we, re- we hear that Saul in these moments, his heart begins to harden. And he goes from being this upstart, up-and-coming potential draft pick to a superstar on the stage. He begins to, to go out in the name of, of the Jewish people and he begins to persecute followers of the way, which was the first name of Christianity. There's a young man by the name of Stephen who was a young and up-and-coming follower of the way. He tells the Pharisees how it is. And in a moment of rage, they've had enough. And they murder, they martyr this young man. And these Sanhedrin, these Pharisees become terrorists to the Christian people. I love how the Word of God tells us that when Stephen was stoned, he looked to heaven and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. When we read about Jesus at the right hand of God, we always read about Him sitting. But in a moment of just awfulness, it says Jesus is standing watching what happens. And at the stoning of Stephen, a line is crossed in the world that really causes hurt, causes turmoil. And the ISIS of that day is born. It says that Saul stood there in approval and actually held the clothes of the people who were killing Stephen. Quite a story we've got so far, huh? It's interesting when you see the up-and-coming Saul, where he's come from, how he is bred to be this terrorist against the Christian faith, isn't he? We kind of know what that looks like. It says that Saul would go and he would drag women and children and husbands out of their homes and he would take them to prison. Who does that sound like to you? What does that sound like to you? Do you think Saul's somebody you want on your team? No. 
when the Christian of this day hears the name Saul, shivers run down their spine like when I said Hitler or Bin Laden. This is not a good man. When Paul says, I'm the chief of all sinners, he's not kidding. This is a messed up guy. We find ourselves in the book of Acts again at chapter 9. Saul has gone off the deep end. He's persecuting. He's going into homes. And he's gone as far as to go to the teachers and the, and, the, and the leaders in the community. And he says, I would like for you to write for me a letter so that I can go to Damascus and so that I can, just, I can go into the homes. And when I find anybody who's a follower of the way, I will drag them out of their house. Woman, child, man, I will drag them out of their house and I will throw them in prison. Will you leaders give me a letter that will give me the authority to do this? And he receives this letter. And he's then sent on a mission to go to Damascus to deliver a word from God. I don't think he's ever prepared for how God is going to actually use him. Did you ever think you were walking into the will of God and you knew how the plan was going to end, but maybe it took a really weird turn somewhere? Because I'm going to tell you right now, what Saul's about to experience is an encounter like we've never seen before. Because this terrorist is about to become the next Billy Graham. (laughs) Chapter 9 of Acts says this, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey... Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He didn't say, why do you persecute the church? He didn't say, why do you persecute that person? He said, why do you persecute me? Did you know when you persecute what belongs to the master, you persecute the master? Paul is persecuting the church. And Jesus says these words, Why do you persecute me? And Saul, this master strategist, this chief lawyer, must have hit the stupid stick on the way down because he says these words in response. Who who is it, Lord? Who are you, Lord? Saul, you know who it is. You've proclaimed who it is. You know it's the Lord. In an act of ignorance, he tries to play it off. Jesus says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up, go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. So there's Saul in this moment. He's knocked to the ground. He's blinded. He can't see. Jesus is calling him by name, saying, I am going to use you. Church, do you believe that God can use you? How ugly are you? How broken are you? How sinful are you? Because I'm going to tell you right now, Saul was trying to defeat Jesus. And he meets Jesus on the road, completely broken, completely sinful and completely a mess. 
And Jesus says, I love you so much, I'm going to put you on your back and I'm going to take away your sight, but you are going to see what I see. You will be my messenger. He even gives him the address. He says, I want you to go to Straight Street. And he's like, I want you to lay there and wait. Do you think if you're stricken blind, you might do some soul searching? Do you think if all of a sudden a light from heaven appeared and everybody else could hear it, but you see something and Jesus says to you, why are you attacking me? Do you think Saul had this moment? Oh my gosh, I am in so much trouble. We have those moments, don't we? When we're caught in our sin and we say, I'm in so much trouble. How could God ever love me? But he does. The men traveling with Saul, they stood speechless as you and I would have. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. And Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple, a man by the name of Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision and said, Ananias, yes, Lord. Do you think for a moment Ananias was ready for about what was to be said to him? Hey, Ananias. Yes, Lord. Um, there's a guy from Tarsus down on Straight Street, and I want you to go pray for him. Okay, cool. By the way, his name might be Saul. What? If I called you and said, hey, come over to my house. I'm having Osama bin Laden over for dinner. Will you talk to him about his sin? Now, we joke about that. But this is ISIS at his door. This is the guy that wants to kill him. This is the guy that wouldn't hesitate to kill his children. And God's saying, Ananias, be my man. I want you to go down and I want you to minister to this guy. What? I love Ananias' response because it's the same response you and I have when God challenges us to do something. We say, God, are you nuts? He says this and he says, uh, Lord... Um, I, I've heard about this guy. I've heard many reports about this man and um, all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. Uh, and he has come here actually with the authority of the chief priest to arrest all of us who call on your name. Go, God says. This is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And I love it because Ananias had that moment when he went, God, are you sure? God said, go, exclamation point. Not go, period. Go! And I'm sure it was like, you know, when we watch Looney Tunes and the legs just get moving. I mean, Ananias, he went. And I'm sure this is a, a very long journey for him because he's going to Straight Street thinking, I mean, what if I walk in and this is a trap? This guy's going to kill me. You know, we don't know anything about Ananias from Scripture other than the fact that he was probably a bishop in Damascus, a preacher in Damascus. Nowhere else do we see him. You know what we see about Ananias? He's an average Joe, just like you and I. Living his faith, loving Jesus, following the way. And God has chosen him to do something epic. And I want to encourage you. God is speaking to you. He wants to use you to do epic things. But sometimes we're afraid to step up to the plate, aren't we? God tells us He wants us to do something absolutely ridiculous, something that might even be scary. 
And instead of going to Straight Street, we say, oh, Lord, what was that again? I didn't hear you correctly. I'm going to wait on the Lord when we really know that God is speaking to us. Has that ever happened to you? Ananias goes down. He enters the house and he placed his hands on Saul and he said these words, Brother, mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. He didn't say, you terrorist. He didn't say, you knucklehead. He didn't call him by names. He said, brother. And in that moment, Ananias embraces Saul, not as a murderer, not as a terrorist, but he embraces him as the fixed thing that God is making him to be. Could you do that? When I ask us to pray for ISIS, that's hard, isn't it? What if ISIS was at your neighbor's house? Could you go pray for them? This is the moment that we're seeing in Scripture. He goes to the house. He sent me that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says, then immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he then could see. He got up and Saul of Tarsus was baptized. The tradition tells us that Ananias baptizes him. And it says they they cooked him some food and they had a dinner so that he would regain his strength. And then the next verse tells us that Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus and at once he began to preach in the synagogues of Damascus. Remember what Paul was sent to do, right? He was sent to take a message to Damascus, right? Oh, he brought a message to Damascus, all right. Amen? Amen? Because it says in the scripture that he went to the synagogues in Damascus and he proclaimed, Jesus is the Son of God. Whew. Could you imagine if Bin Laden stood up in New York City at the 9-11 memorial and said, Jesus is Lord. I'm sorry. Could we pray for that? Could we accept it? Or is our agenda and our hurt and our vengeance so real to us that we can't pray for our enemies and accept that God would take an awful person like Saul of Tarsus and transform him. Think about it. Other than Jesus Christ, Saul, or Paul, who he became, he went down in the water as Saul, and he comes up as Paul. God gave him a new name. Just as he gives you a new name. He gave him a new identity. He's no longer terrorist. He's my son. He's my child. And Saul transforms the world. It's an amazing story. Do we pray with that expectation for Al Shabaab, for ISIS, for that crazy neighbor of yours who won't cut his grass? (laughs) We're called to pray for our enemies, we're called to love our enemies. And that's really hard. I don't like my enemies. When I think about those Kenyans that were killed, I become enraged inside and go, God, why? But we have to remember, God has a plan that we can't see. Just like Ananias had no idea what was about to come of this guy. Think about this. Because of Ananias' obedience to what God called him to, he's the grandfather spiritually to everything that Paul did. We forget how big of a spiritual hero and giant that Ananias actually is, don't we? 
Listen to me, church. God wants to use you in mighty ways. It may be to just pray for one person. It may be to write a book of the Bible. I I don't know what God has for you. But he has big things for you. And so what we learn from this story is this. You are not as bad as you think. That God loves you with all the sin that you have. He wants you to let go of it. He wants you to repent of it. And I'm sure that for some of us, we can do that without being knocked to the ground and being blinded. But I'm going to tell you, God loves you enough to put you on your back to get your attention. My grandpa Chevy used to say to us, God will throw stones to get your attention, boy, but he'll start throwing bricks if you don't listen. (laughs) And it's the truth. And in our hardships, we go, oh, God, why, why, why? Have we ever stopped to listen? Maybe why? Maybe he has something grand he's about to do in our life. Maybe he's about to take ISIS and turn him into Billy Grahams. God's calling you to something. For those of you that are in Saul's shoes, he's calling you to stop persecuting him and to recognize he loves you. Love him. Follow him. Because he's got a plan for your life. For the Ananiases out there, you know that God's speaking to you. I don't know what he's speaking to you. Do it. Go. Don't be afraid. Just as Saul was down at Straight Street, Ananias went, not knowing what was going to happen. And God went before him. God came in behind him. And God went with him. God will go with you. He's not going to put you in a circumstance and then abandon you in it. It's in those circumstances where you're going to see God work in you the more. So can we pray for our enemies? Can we love our enemies by being obedient to what God has for us? You know, Paul basically rejected his teacher, Gamaliel, when Gamaliel said, wait a second, maybe we're fighting against God here. See, Paul later in his life would get it because he would leave these words with his student, Timothy. He says this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, 15-17. He said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. We've read that so many times. But this terrorist is proclaiming, I am the worst of all sinners. This was penned with tears in his eyes. Paul was thinking about his sin. Do you think about your sin? Do you repent from your sin? Paul says, he came to the world to save it for for sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. With God, all things are possible. Even terrorists will proclaim the name of Jesus when God's people pray. Amen? Amen. Do you believe that? Then let's pray. I want you to take a moment now, church. And in that same spirit, I want you to lift up the martyrs around the world who are dying for the name of Jesus right now. Lord, hear our prayers.
Now, church, I'm going to ask you to do something a little harder. Would you pray for ISIS? That God may change their hearts and reveal himself to them. And to all of those terroristic groups that are out there attacking Jesus today, take a moment now and pray for their salvation. Lord, hear our prayers. Take a moment now, church. Whether it's a a family member, a neighbor, a co-worker, pray for that enemy. That God would break your heart for them. Break your heart in such a way that you would move from calling them enemy to brother. Lord, hear our prayers. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, your word tells us, Lord. We thank you that you have forgiven us of our sins. No matter how bad, no matter how extreme our sin has been, you have forgiven us, not because we're anything fantastic, but because you're fantastic. And because you love us. May we never forget that. Give us the strength to be obedient to you in scary situations. Give us the strength to be obedient to you in those moments when we have to look at our enemy and call them brother. Help us, God, in those moments to truly see brothers.